We, we believe in the next generation yeah. of leaders. And as you get older as a disciple, you've got to target the next generation. Yeah. The ones that could take the torch. Yeah. You know, Christianity is like a like like a like track and field. Yes. Right? But in track and field, it's not it's not passing a baton. See, when you pass a baton to someone, it's almost like giving them the, the, the gospel and they take it to the next generation, right? Not really. Because when you pass a baton, you shut down and sit there and watch them do yes. all the running. Yes. We're not passing batons. No, no. See what I mean? Sometimes you feel, oh, yeah, let's just pass a baton. And then you yeah, shut down and watch somebody else do all the running. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're passing torches. When you pass a torch, you light somebody else on fire. And they light somebody else on fire. They light somebody else on fire. And they light somebody else. And they light somebody else. And they light somebody else. And they let you follow my example as I follow Christ. English pronunciation of Birmingham, but it means settlement or home. And I, I hope that Birmingham, I hope you haven't only settled here. I hope you're ready to evangelize all of the Midlands, all of England, and all of the world. You know, it's an incredible thing when you see a miracle before your eyes. And, uh, you know, the wedding was incredible. Uh, it was a fantastic display of God's power. Uh, first of all, I want to lift up uh, Dia right there for all of her work. I don't know why she's single, but the brothers need to repent right there. She did incredible. And uh, got to lift up uh, Carmen and Johnny for an incredible contribution. I mean, what a powerful testimony right there. If we get this guy into the kingdom of God. Uh, how many more men are out there like that? Bunch of money and no purpose. Bunch of stuff and no real drive to do something they're willing to die for. They're out there, guys. They're out there. You just got to believe by faith. And uh, so appreciated what you said, bro. Uh, awesome. And, uh, you know, I love Carmen Williams. You know, uh, you know, in the kingdom of God, that's how it is. You know, you, you get a spiritual black man. You get a spiritual white daughter and Asians and all nations. That's what we believe in. We are a Bible church. Uh, let's go to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the way you've moved all around the world. Thank you for the Good News Network. We know that that, that that TV, that network was simply an idea at one stage. And we preached it into existence. Father, I pray that we can have the faith of God today. Which speaks that which is not into existence. Help us to speak this church into existence. Help us to preach this church into existence. Help us to preach a revolution into existence here in all of England. Use me, Father. Set me aside. Use this sinful man to speak to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Judges chapter 10 or Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Turn your Bibles there or on your Samsung or iPhone. I don't know what kind of people we got now. We got any Samsung people in the house? Okay. Okay. All right. I've already caused the division right here. And the rest of you are iPhone people. Okay. You know, it's interesting. Uh, one thing about Samsung and iPhone that they do have in common is they're always telling you that your generation is not the good one. You need the next generation of phone. And they got people, they got people sold on the next generation. People will get up early, wait in line for the next generation of the God that you put in your pocket. We got to be careful we don't worship the God we put in our pocket. And yet, that, 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 is, that is really where we're going today. That's the title of the les lesson today. Targeting the next generation. Targeting the next generation. Apple targets the next generation. iPhone targets the next generation. Even the retailers, they know we've got to get something out there for the next generation. How much more so our God? Targeting the next generation. 
I serve the London International Christian Church for those of you that are visiting for the very first time. Uh, I am in. It's an honor to serve God. I sold my house. I sold my car. Sold everything I owned. I moved to London, England. And we, we, we moved here with a dream to evangelize the entire world. But we would evangelize all of Europe first. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a rough, rough uh, landing. I had two suitcases. Michelle had about five. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know who told me that uh, Camden Town was like Hollywood, California, but they lied to me. <laughs> And I got to Camden Town, and it was it was nothing. It was it was. Uh, I was I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, I sing that song completely different. Uh, and then we got out of Camden Town, and we were able to build up the church. God moved in a powerful way. With only nine people there on the mission team, and joining those who were waiting for us to come, we are now nine churches, and we'll be twelve churches at the end of this year. We've been on the mission field twelve years. And we've had 12 churches right there. 13 by the end of this year. Maybe God can give us another one right there. By faith. Targeting the next generation. We are a Bible church. That means we believe in the Bible cover to cover. Where the New Testament supersedes the old, we go with the New Testament. So if anything I say to you is in the word of God, it's not me speaking to you. It is God speaking to you. No fallible man could write the things in the Bible. No man could write and say that. You ever read a biography? Every guy who writes a biography, they lie a little bit. Yeah. They lie. They make themselves look really awesome. They never go into detail about their sin. God tells all the sins of his heroes in the word of God. The Bible claims to be the absolute truth. It does not claim to be a truth. The Bible makes claims it is the absolute truth. The absolute truth. So you say, well, I don't know if I believe in the Bible. It doesn't matter what you believe. Belief and truth are two separate things. You don't get to believe in gravity, and then it's true. You don't not believe, and then you float away. No. That's a law that was set up by God. Fine-tuned by God. And you don't have the option to believe in gravity or not. That's just one set of truth. That's just one principle I've just brought up. And so we, we believe the Bible makes the claim. It is the very truth. So if anything I say to you, it, it is God speaking to you today. And I pray that you can believe the truth. Because before the truth can set you free, sometimes it'll set you off. It'll set you off. But if you're not willing to tell the truth to yourself about yourself, how much more so is it just a waste of your time to look at the truth of God's word? I hope I'm looking at a bunch of individuals that understand they need God. You need God. You need the word of God. You are more than a physical being. You are a soul. Yes. You realize what the Bible says about you? Yes. It says in the beginning when God created man, he created man. The word man is the word ish. It means a spirit. Wow. You're not just a dirt body. You were created as a spirit. Wow. Your spirit goes into a body. Yes. When your body dies, it goes to the dirt. But your spirit goes to heaven or hell. Your spirit lives forever. Your spirit needs encouragement. Your spirit needs nourishment. Your spirit needs faith. Sometimes your spirit gets sad. Your soul, you ever got your soul feel sad? Feel sad in my soul. Well, that's why we got soul food, baby. We got the word of God. We are a Bible church. So we're going to go through the word of God. But Michael Hart wanted me to share something with you today. How do crazy runners get through a forest? They take the psychopath, of course. Psychopath. That was your shepherd of the London church right there, Michael Hart. He says a little comedy makes the truth go down better. And yet that's what most people think you are because you follow the Bible. You're a psychopath. You're a psychopath. You're crazy. We're not crazy. We just love God. We just love God. And we love God because of our conviction, not a feeling. So today it's not about feeling good. It's about feeling God. It's not about this. It's not about you being true. You know, it's about feeling God. I hope you felt God in your quiet time. You didn't just feel good. Sometimes you feel good. <laughs> I've had some quiet times where I don't feel good, I feel, I, but I feel God. I feel him calling me to the path of humility so I don't get on the humiliating path. I feel him calling me to be a servant. 
I feel like him calling me out of my sin and my laziness. Targeting a new generation. Judges chapter 2. Targeting a new generation. So what you doing up here in Birmingham? I'm targeting a new generation. See, I don't believe that only London disciples are sold out disciples. I believe that Birmingham disciples are sold out disciples. God believes that there can be sold out disciples in Birmingham. But the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Check this out. Judges chapter 2. Joshua has done incredible things. He's gotten an entire generation out of the desert, and he's gotten them into the promised land. He did stuff that Moses did not do. Moses was able to look into the promised land, but he didn't lead the people. Joshua did something incredible. He got the people into the promised land. He got them there. He, he was an incredible leader. After all, Joshua means Jesus. And of course, Joshua goes into leadership after his leader died. His faith didn't die when his leader took off. His faith did not die. He still had faith. I hope your faith is in God, not the leader only. And so when Moses was on that hill and Moses died, God had told him, hey, Moses, my servant is dead. <laughs> and Joshua, oh, okay, my leader died. Okay, great. Hey, you're in charge, bro. <laughs> and so Joshua starts leading the people. And the Bible says he had to be strong and courageous. And then God says, no, no, no. You got to be strong and courageous. You got to be strong and very courageous. And so he leads God's people. You remember that, right? And you have the time where Jericho happened. They come to Jericho and they march around Jericho for six days with archers standing up there. It would be like people with shotguns pointed at you. And God says, don't worry about the shotgun. Just keep marching. Don't worry. And they keep marching. This guy's about to shoot them. They keep marching. Six days. You get tired. Yeah. Got to be in shape to be a Christian. Yeah. They march for six days. And he says, seven, they blow the trumpet and then, walk, and then the walls fall inward. Not that way because they could have fell on them. Wow. They fall in. And then the Bible says, Joshua chapter six, they raced on in and they took the city. Oh. I think it's time to take the city here in Birmingham. Yeah. To take the city. Yeah. And so he leads the people and everything is awesome. They're so glorious. They had so many battles that they won. Joshua won so many battles, about 33 battles. The only battle that Joshua lost was the battle of unconfessed sin. Of all the military exploits, you go through the book of Joshua, he wins, he wins, he wins, he wins. The only one was at AI. And that's because there was a guy who had some, there was some secret sin. But let me tell you, so there's no secret sin. God knows your sin. And so Joshua goes back, and, and after they lose that battle, he goes back for a rematch. Sometimes, as a Christian, you got to go back for a rematch. Are you with me right here? And so, so, so this is incredible. And then, and then we get, and then sadly, we get to the time of the judges. Where there is no main leader, just a man who raises up here and there, here and there. And when the man raises up, people are faithful. When he leaves, he's the people are unfaithful. And we come to Joshua chapter 2, verse 6. It says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land. Each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for him. I mean, when you see a bunch of miracles, man, it just gives you faith. I remember when I got baptized, I remember going to the conference, it was much bigger than EMC. I remember standing and seeing 7,000 people sing, standing in the light of God. I walked through the doors with my lukewarmness and all of a sudden I was in tears. And hearing all those people saying, standing in a big stadium, standing in a Galatica, just reverberating. And just like, wow. I was a young Christian, 1999, 2000. And I went, wow. It was incredible. I still have that memory of what God did in our former fellowship. And so right here, we, we, we have, it says, all the elders outlived him. And it says, all who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And I'm honored today because we got uh, we got some old schoolers who have seen the great things that God has done in our former fellowship. Michael Maria Hart. Ola Kukoyi right there. And we still have faith that God can do it in this movement. Check this out. It says Joshua, son of none, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. 
and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah and Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Now, Joshua was incredible, but he had one week that Moses did not have. Moses was wise enough to put a central leader in charge of God's people before he died. And who was that? That was Joshua. The Bible says, put in, put in leadership a man who has the spirit of leadership. I'm dying. I'm getting old. Put somebody in charge who has the spirit of leadership. The spirit of leadership is a spirit. The spirit of leadership. I so love Johnny Chan. He's got the spirit of leadership. I so I remember seeing LeVar get baptized. He's got the spirit of song leadership. I mean, I was worried this morning, to be honest. And I came in, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how the singing's going to be here. And the bard got up there and just warmed my soul. And he sang all that lukewarmness off me. Thank you so much, bro. Singing is an ambush. The Bible says singing is an ambush. You hear the singing. The Bible says the Israelites sang and they ambushed the people. That's what happened when I first came to church. The singing got me. Wow. Well, yes, it was the fellowship and the preaching, but the singing just was an I wasn't ready for that singing like that. And it ambushed my pride and it got me going. I'm so fired up. Here it says, it says, Joshua, son of nine, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his heritage, Timothy's hers, in the hill country of Ephraim. After that, after that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. So and then a whole generation dies. Generation roughly about 30, 40 years. It takes to do a generation. Yeah. A whole generation gathered to their ancestors. Another generation yeah. grew up. Huh. So you got the generation that saw everybody, you know, saw all the miracles with Joshua. Saw Joshua bring everybody through the Jordan. Saw Joshua, the walls of Jericho fall down. They saw, they saw, they saw God do great things in their lifetime. They die. So they're not doing the welcome for you anymore. They die. So they're not doing the sermon that day anymore where you're like, whoa. They're, they're, they're. So now you got a new generation. A new group. A new group of individuals. And it says a new, a new generation. Who grew up neither knew, uh, who grew up, who knew neither the Lord, nor what He had done for Israel. An entire generation that was godless. Yeah. An entire generation that didn't know God. I believe that's the same thing we're living through right now. Yes. An entire generation. Oh, arrogant you got to be to say stuff like there is no God. I'm scared to say that. I don't want to get smoked by God. God will kill you for that. You do not. You ever read the Bible? With God, would you mess around with God's glory? You know, it says Herod didn't give glory to God. He fell down and died and worms ate him. When people don't give glory to God, it's okay to say, hey, I've never been raised that way. But don't emphatically say there is no God and what a stupid, it's a crutch. What do you do? That, those are dangerous words. When you read what God says about himself through his word. And we have a group of people, they don't, they don't know the Lord, nor what he had done for Israel, so they're entitled. They don't know that they, very, they owe their very existence to their ancestors. They wouldn't be alive. Without their ancestors. I am so grateful for all the men that came before me. I am so grateful for all the individuals that came before me. That gave me a reason to have faith in God. I'm even grateful for our former fellowship that paved the way. I think it was just a dress rehearsal. And I think we've come back for a rematch. I think this is the real time to evangelize the nations in a generation. But when you don't know God and what he has done and you get entitled, what happens? Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of who? The Lord. They served the Baal. Baal was, uh, Baal was sex God. They served sex. They served sex. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. Egypt always is a representation of our sinful past. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. You got a lot of gods nowadays, don't you? Yeah. Got black God. Black God, black God, I'm black God. I go to black church. Black songs, black preaching, black everything. If the leader's black, I like him, I trust him. If he ain't black, I don't like him, I don't trust him. Because, you know, I've been sucked into the black preaching right there because black lives matter. Let me tell you, your black life doesn't matter. Look, Jesus died for you, and if you don't accept that, then your black life doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
Neither does your white life, your blue life, or anything else that the media tells you. Our lives only count if we respond to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The color of God's love is not red. It's red. Yeah. It's red. The blood of Jesus. And right here, they say, they says they forsook the Lord. They start serving all these other gods around them. And what they do is this is they arouse the Lord's anger. But man, you can make God mad. We think the only emotion God has is love. God is love. No, no, no. The God gets ticked off. It says they arouse the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the bales and asterisks. Asterisk, you had you had literal asterisk poles, which were long carvings of the male uh, sexual organ that were in the land. So you go through the land and you see a big uh, phallic symbol, a symbol of a male penis. Isn't that gar just godless garbage? And we still have it nowadays. Yeah. We still have it nowadays. They arouse the Lord's anger because they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asherah. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders. He gives them into their enemies' hands who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies. Isn't that crazy? When you make God mad, he lets the enemies beat up on you. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. You know, when you can't resist the enemy, you got to ask yourself if you know God and if you forsake him. If you can't resist the enemy of apathy, the enemy of depression, the enemy of impurity, you can't resist. You know how you get rid of the devil? Resist him. We're looking at, I need psychology. You don't need psychology. You just need to resist the devil. But you know what we do? We resist the truth. We resist the Bible. We resist discipling. Instead of resisting the devil. And that's why he doesn't flee. He's like, oh, you, man, you're hanging out today. In fact, I'll put before you, Satan's going to meet some of you at the door and walk home with you. Because this is just going to be a speech for you. You're not going to really look for what God is saying to you. But God is targeting another generation. He's targeting this generation up here. And here, it says they make him mad, they make him angry. He sold him into the hands of their enemies, whom they no longer resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was with them. No, it says the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Man, when you don't love God, you're not, he, he, he's like, no, you're going to lose. You're losing. It says just as he had sworn to, their, to them, they were in a little bit of distress. No, great distress. And the church said, Amen. targeting a new generation. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. When I think about this scripture and the godlessness of the people at that particular time, I, I simply think about how godly people were after World War I and World War II. Come on. You can look at the history books all over the world. People believed in God after World War I and World War II. God had to cause World War I and II. And it, it, there was a great depression and people, people around the world yeah. believed in God. Even in America, you had, things called, you had a thing called the Jesus Revolution that came out of that. But God had to allow two world wars before people came back to God. And I believe God does not change. People do, but God doesn't. And in the same way that he had to sell them into the hands of their enemies back then, you know, I pray that God doesn't have to do that now to get us to really love him. I mean, you look at the world and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of things going on. And when I think about worlds, parts of the world that changed the world, I think about, I think about Birmingham, the Industrial Revolution that was experienced right here. It was an awakening. It, 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 it changed global trade for the world. Yeah. We are walking on the, on the footsteps of people who ch literally changed the world. Right. And God has to let Cain Taylor go all the way down to Mexico, leading all the worship just so you can go, hey, I still want to do something in Birmingham. Cain was baptized here, wasn't he? Yeah. He wasn't baptized in London. Yeah. And yet he was in Mexico City on the Good News Network video, singing to 1500. Don't tell me that greatness isn't in Birmingham. Yeah. Don't tell me that people that want to do great things are not still here. And the Industrial Revolution, it changed the world. It helped the British Empire expand. Uh, global trade, we could go on and on. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, steam engines were created. Innovation. It was called, Birmingham was called the workshop of the world. Wow. It was the dawn of a new day for a new generation. The Birmingham, we're, we're tired of the working class. We're going to do something here. And they changed the world. They changed the world. All of Birmingham went through 
an industrial revolution. And yet I believe all of Birmingham needs a spiritual revolution. All of Birmingham transformed because of the, 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 the metal and all the engines. And yet I believe all of Birmingham needs a spiritual transformation. That's the great thing about becoming a Christian. You can get a spiritual transformation. You can be different. You can be a different person. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. The book of John is powerful. It doesn't call all the miracles in the book of John are not called miracles. They're called signs because signs point to something greater than the miracle itself. Signs point to God who should be worshiped above the miracle. But miracles do help our faith. John chapter 20, verse, verse 1. Early in the first day of the week. I hope that's what you do. You get up early in the first day of the week. I hope you get up early. Okay. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Now, that tells you if you're having real good quiet times. If it's dark in the morning, you're up there with the Lord right there. Okay? He says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I mean, this is hilarious. <laughs> this is John writing this. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit inspired the, the writing of the Bible. So John gives himself a nickname, the one who Jesus loved. <laughs> so I don't know about these other guys. But I know he loved me, man. <laughs> yeah, Peter, James. I don't know about you guys. I'm not speaking for you, but I, I, I'm the one he loved. <laughs> you know, what confidence John had. What security in this relationship with God? Do you know you're the one that Jesus loves? Now, oh, Johnny, I know God loves Johnny. Oh, God loves him. Now, how about you? You're the one that Jesus loves. You're the one that you're, you're the closest person to you is not the physical person next to you. It is God who is spirit. The spirit of God is closer to you than anything. And you're the one that Jesus loves. I hope you believe that. He says, she came running to Simon Peter, another disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where, we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. So you got Peter and John. Remember, John's the one who Jesus loved, right? And John, this is John's account. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were Running. So you got these two brothers running for Jesus. Isn't it awesome to run for Jesus? It's great to walk with God, but sometimes you need to run for Jesus. And you got two brothers running for Jesus right here. And it says both were running. I want to run with God. I don't want to run with the world. I don't know about you. I want to run with the God. Even in the church sometimes, you got to be careful. Where do you think Satan wants to work? You think he just wants to work out there? Yeah. If he can't get, get you from outside, he tries the inside. Yeah. He gets you to run with the gossips. Run with the slanderers. Run with the critics. Run with the doubters. The one that believe their doubt more than they believe the word of God. You got to doubt your doubts and be skeptical of your skepticism. Yeah. Here, both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. And reached the tomb first. I mean, he got to Jesus first. He outran him. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. You know, people kill me talking about uh, the disciples took the body. Yeah, you're going to take the body and leave the strips? Why would you take the body and leave the, you know, uh, take, you're going to steal the body of Jesus, but uh, take all the linen off of him, leave the linen, and then take the body. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It says the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. There it is. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb. For, I mean, John wants you to know. John wants you to know. Listen, I don't know about Peter. I know I'm the one he loved, and I know he was running, but I reached the tomb. I got to God first. I reached the tomb first. <laughs> I want you guys, I want it to be written down that there's this brother here, and he's my brother. But I got there first. I got there. I mean, he just makes sure, you know, he outran him. I got there first. You know, it's so hilarious. He says, John, and he's the one he loves. He says, he says, 
Close line eight says, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had not risen from the dead. The disciples went back to where they were staying, and their church said, Amen. This is powerful because you know John and Peter were both disciples, and right here it's very clear that John outran Peter to the tomb. <laughs> You know, sometimes you need to be, you, 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 you may be that disciple that outruns the other disciples. You, you, you run a little bit faster right there. And uh, I remember the Olympics right there. The, the London, got, London sisters got humbled right there. Oh, yeah, who's going to win? Is this sister? Is this? No, no, you guys got outran by a Birmingham sister right there. She outran them all. I started thinking about how in the world did John outrun Peter? First of all, Peter was older than him. He was older. He was 20 because he paid the temple tax. So John was a little bit younger. But three days prior to this event, Peter was in the courtyard of cowardice. And he had denied Jesus on three different occasions. Now we read that and we go, yeah, he, this is an occasion that some of you will either accept Jesus or deny him. And Peter had denied him three times. You know what happens when you deny Jesus? You don't get a godly conscience. You get a guilty conscience. You get a guilty conscience. You know what happens when you doubt Jesus? You have that doubt in your heart. And Peter right here, I really believe the reason why he was outrun, because he, he didn't want to run faster than John. Because he was running with a guilty conscience. He knew he had denied Jesus. And he's like, has he really risen? Has he really risen? Go ahead, bro. You, you first. You go into ministry first. You do it first. You, I don't know. I, I've denied him. Nobody knows I've denied him, but I've been denying him at home. I haven't been having quiet times. That's why I have quiet reservations. You know, you, you run, you run, you go, you go, you, you go ahead of me. He was running with doubt in his heart. He wanted the world. If you read the text earlier, the Bible says he was hanging out with those in the world, warming himself with the, the warmth of the world, yeah. lusting at the world. So he was running with impurity and lust in his heart. And ultimately, as I said, he was running with a guilty conscience. And if you're running with a guilty conscience today, I got good news for you. You can run with a godly conscience. You can stop running with a guilty conscience if you will but confess your sin. John's love outran Peter's doubt. John's love outran Peter's skepticism. John's love outran Peter's impurity. John's love outran Peter's guilty conscience. And of course, the other apostles aren't even mentioned because they're not running at all. Jesus came into the earth at this time targeting a new generation. Not only a generation of Jews, but also Gentiles. Jesus believed in saving all nations. And contrary to popular opinion, the individuals that killed Jesus were not the prostitutes, the drug dealers, and the murderers. It was people that believed in the Bible. Arguably, the Bible says that most dangerous people are religious people. That means the people that should have the fear of God the most should be us in this room. Because we could be dangerous because we know the Bible. And yet we could put him on the cross as it was the Jews who put him on the cross. First Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this here in verse 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Follow my example as I follow Christ. We love the next generation, Michelle and I. We, know, we love the next generation of leaders. Yeah. That's why we're here. You say, oh, you're just, just, just helping Joseph. No, I'm here. I'm, 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 who's, who's, who, who really wants to build up God's church? What sisters really want to build up the church? What brothers really want to build it on up? We, we believe in the next generation of leaders. And as you get older as a disciple, 
you've got to target the next generation. The ones that could take the torch. Yeah. You know, Christianity is like a like like a like track and field. Yes. Right? But in track and field, it's not it's not passing a baton. See, when you pass a baton to someone, it's almost like giving them the, the, the gospel and they take it to the next generation, right? Not really. Because when you pass a baton, you shut down and sit there and watch them do yes. all the running. Yes. We're not passing batons. No, no. See what I mean? Sometimes you feel, oh yeah, let's just pass a baton. And then you yes. shut down and watch somebody else do all the running. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're passing torches. When you pass a torch, you light somebody else on fire, and they light somebody else on fire. They light somebody else on fire, and they light somebody else They light somebody else, and they light somebody else. And they let you follow my example as I follow Christ. Christ was never lukewarm. He was always on fire. And I want to put a fire in Birmingham where you guys start passing torches to other individuals. And we can see all of the Midlands won for Christ. You know, I, I, I love seeing stories of the underdog. Yeah. Don't you love those stories of somebody had it all against them and they made it? Yeah. They didn't make excuses. They, weren't, they didn't find virtue in being victims. They did not do that. They made it. And, you know, one of the stories that really inspires me is uh, this devoted man who believed in the Bible named John Houston. He starts mentoring this super young, angry kid, uh, young English kid. And, uh, yeah, I want to make sure you knew that. <laughs> Young English kid. And uh, he, he had issues. He didn't have a dad, robbed up his father. Um, his father was an illiterate farmer uh, and then died when he was super young. He was only five years old. He lost his father. Dare we say he had daddy issues, right? Daddy dies, five years old. Uh, and then he gets abandoned by his mom. It's kind of weird. Uh, then his mother remarries, brings him back in, and she remarries this rich guy. And this rich guy's like, I do not want a stepkid. And so, you know, that you had a stepdad, little issue with the kid, and I don't like you, and you're not my dad. And he, so he had that his whole life. He grows up super angry, and he starts getting mentored by this guy by the name of John Adam Houston, who was a devout Christian. So he was an angry kid. Just started mentoring, started discipling him. So I want to help this kid. And he gets in there in his life, starts mentoring him, mentoring him. And then John Houston was a teacher, so he looked at uh, what they had said about his, his grades up until that point. And they had, they, they, every teacher made a, an indictment against this kid. Lazy will not learn and good for nothing. Lazy will not learn and good for nothing. I hope that doesn't describe any of our disciples. Lazy will not learn and good for nothing. No, we don't want to be that. Amen. So he stays in there and he starts, you know, mentoring his kids. Days turn uh, to months, months turns to years. Before you know it, he starts this, this, this mentor starts to know this kid is smart. He's brilliant. He's super good at math. He starts really, really getting in there. And then he starts realizing that not only is he smart at math, he's smart at other things. Then some of the other teachers started noticing this kid is incredibly smart. He's got world-changing academic capacity, one teacher said. John Houston continues to mentor him, almost shocked at how smart this kid began to be. All of a sudden, a lot of schools start noticing how brilliant this kid was, specifically at math. And John Houston raises his own money he puts him into Trinity College in, in Ireland, where we're going to be starting a church. This kid, who was the angry kid, all of his friends learned of his brilliance. The school noticed his brilliance. The nation soon would learn of his brilliance. And now the world knows of his brilliance because his name is Sir Isaac Newton. One of the greatest scientists in human history was trained by a man who believed in the Bible. You can go see his tomb at Westminster Abbey. It says this. Here lies Sir Isaac Newton, a man with an intellect close to the divine. Wow. That discipling, that one man saw and that angry kid changed not only the generation, but the world. We got to understand that this is a moment where God is targeting you. He is targeting you. And he wants you to have that divine, brilliant mind where you follow the word of God and change this world. Point number one, a church that's committed in an uncommitted generation. Come on, Michael. We're going to get the next generation. We got to be a church that's committed in a, this is an uncommitted generation, isn't it? Yes. Everybody's, nobody's committed. Everybody's committed to being uncommitted. In that way, it's actually committed. Committed to uncommitment. Right? Nobody, I mean, you can't, people don't even want to meet each other. They're going to get online. Let me just check them out online first here. Let me see what they look like and what they do and who they this. And then, and then I'll decide, you know, it's a very uncommitted generation. 
And yet we've got to be a church that's committed in an uncommitted generation. Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78. You guys still with me here? Yes. Psalm 78 says this here. Verse 5. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. Isn't that sad nowadays? Nobody's teaching their children the word of God. But the schools want to teach your children that they're gay. Yeah. The, the schools want to teach your children. There's a song I sent to the staff. It is the most, it is the most demonic song I've ever heard. Yeah. It's a bunch of men who have the same sex background and all gay. And they sing this song. You think that we're out to try to convert your kids. And you're right. Oh. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And this is the kind of stuff that floats around on the internet. It's there. It's on YouTube. You can watch it. But let me say something hardline against it on YouTube, and all of a sudden I'm censored and blocked, and, and, and nobody can listen to anything. Because we're in a godless generation that's committed to evil. We've got to teach our children. The greatest teachers are the teachers that they see in the home. My kids know they, they, that we are a Bible church. Not just in London church. No, I'm talking at home. Michael Ager, he knows. You're going to go by the Bible. Mia knows. Did you have a quiet time today, Mia? Everyone's, wow, she's only 10, right? Well, you, you're going to wait till she's got some boy likes her when she's 16? She's been having quiet times for about six, seven years. She may be able to go to town with some of the disciples at times. I hear that quiet time. That's anemic, bro. You need to talk to my kid. I ain't going to keep you faithful. Read Matthew 28 just before you come to service. What are you talking about? You, you're a fall away already. We got to know the word of God. We got to be committed. We are the church. A church that's committed in an uncommitted generation. Check the rest of the scripture out. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded, he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. Who would not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. Isn't that awesome? It's our job to teach the next generation. What are you teaching other students at your, your school with your life? Are you teaching them to be committed to God? We've got to be a church that's committed in an uncommitted generation. You know, the third president of Princeton University uh, was a radical theologian, and um, his name was John Edwards. And uh, he, he has some incredible quotes about being committed to God's people. He says, Lord, snap eternity on my eyeballs. Wow. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Because yeah. nobody's thinking about eternity. Nope. You just think about lunch. Yeah. You just think about tomorrow. But if you take a sheet of paper and you put a little dot, that's your life. The rest of it is eternity. I hope that eternity can get stamped on your heart today. That you can think about where you go after this life. He said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That means we can't earn that love. He says, I'm resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. He says, I ain't doing anything that I wouldn't be afraid to do if it wasn't the last hour of my life. I mean, he's always seeking and saving the lost. He said, truth is the agreement of our ideas with the ideas of God. And then I love this one. Whether others do or do not, I will. <laughs> Whether others do, commit to the Birmingham church. Or do not, commit to the Birmingham church. I will. We live in a culture that's socially uncommitted. Socially, I bet, I bet, I bet. You, got, you think you got 5,000 friends? You know, Facebook says you got, but you don't have 5,000 friends. You know why? Because we're socially uncommitted. We're socially uncommitted. Most of our friends have never been to our home, and most of those people on Facebook are not going to pick you up if you uh, are driving in a car and you break down. They're not going to pick you up. And this is socially engineered. 
Satan doesn't want us to be close. We live in a culture of uncommitted employees. The UK employees are among the least committed in all of Europe. According to a new report by the International Survey of Research, ISR, they said UK employees are the worst. We live in a culture that's sexually uncommitted. Hookup culture. So godless. Oxford Circus in London has a, has a restaurant called Side Chick. <laughs> that's evil. It's not funny. It's wicked. What if your mom was a side chick? What if your daughter was a side chick? What if you become a side chick because you don't want to be a disciple? Sexually uncommitted. I don't know about these kingdom dates. Uh, Birmingham reports that in the past three years, uh, five women are raped every day. Here, five, five women get raped here every day. And those are the ones that report it. Satan's committed to harming women. Yeah. Totally committed. Yes. God's trying to save you. God's giving you great relationships to build. We live in a time that's sexually uncommitted. We live in a time that's spiritually uncommitted. Spiritually. It's sad. Sometimes people only respond to the word of God when they see pop culture in the pulpit. I mean, if you can make it real relatable, you're really funny. When you get up there and then they, okay, okay, all right, you've got me excited enough to hear. <laughs> Churches don't preach on sin. They don't like talking about sin. It's uncomfortable to talk about looking at things that are shameful to mention. I know I did all the bad sins. I'm the leader because I'm worse than all of you guys. I'm not the leader because I'm better. I'm worse. I, see, I saw things on the internet that I, I can't even... I wish I'd never seen in my life. I said things in my heart. I sat while a woman got a, an abortion. I sat in another room. And what was bad is I cried. She didn't. Wow, what are you doing, Michael? You're killing a generation for your convenience. It made me start thinking, what's the legacy you're going to leave, Michael? Which is a great question for you today. What's going to be your legacy? What's going to be your legacy? You know, every time you buy Jordans, you're paying for Jordan's legacy. You're paying for his name to be glorified. Yeah. Every time you shop, sisters, you shop, some of the sisters shop at Boots in the room here, I think. Yeah. What's, the lady, her name was Jesse Boot. Every time you shop at Boots, you, you, you make Jesse Boots' name is. Every time you get that, that, that McDonald's, you go McDonald's, you glorify the McDonald's name. You're paying money for someone else's legacy. I love to, I love to give everything I got for the legacy of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about you. The legacy of Jesus Christ. I love to give all my money for the legacy of an incredible church here. I love to give all my money for the incredible legacy of the songs that came out of Birmingham during that time after COVID. All the individuals that went into ministry, that sold things, that cried, that fought, that hung on, that did something that no other generation Thought they could do so they didn't do it, but they did it. Come on, guys. Come on, Birmingham. It's time for Birmingham to get radically committed. Say committed to what? How about all the meetings of the body? Look at this, Acts chapter 2. You guys sit with me here? Jay, just a couple more and then we'll, we'll stop here. We got to get radically committed to the meetings of the body. How were they in the Bible? Look at this here in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, targeting the next generation. It'd be so awesome if Birmingham out-baptized London. I would so love that. It'd be so awesome if Birmingham whooped up on London for the football tournament at the EMC. I mean, I would love to see Jeffrey lead the Birmingham church. Check this out. In verse 42, it says they, in verse after two, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All, some of the believers, no. all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with bitter and cynical hearts. Oh. 
No, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with frustrated and overwhelmed hearts. All these people coming over to my house. It's not your house, it's God's house. Your house. He could take your life. What are you talking about? Your house. He could take your life. You're breathing because God allowed it. God ordained for you to breathe that cynicism. God even allowed your mouth to utter those very words. You know what it is when you don't believe in God? It's like, it would be like my son sitting on my lap looking me in the face saying, I don't know if I believe in you. You owe your existence to me. And you can be a practical atheist in the kingdom. You can hear all this preaching and still not really believe, which is a choice. It is a choice. He says, they, 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 says they were glad and sincere, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Don't you? I love disciples. Yes. I love our new Hungarian brother. Yeah. This guy is dashing, humble, spiritual, serving, good-hearted. I mean, I feel like I've known him for 20 years. I mean, I can't get a hug from Marcos forever, but I mean, I got a hug from this guy right away. Marcos finally is going to give me a hug now. Amen. But, but don't you love all the people? Yes. Don't you love all the disciples? I love Janelle. Yes. Janelle knows I got her number. Yes. I see directly into her soul. Yes. Janelle knows. She knows. And that's my, that's my daughter. That's my daughter in the Lord. And I'm going to fight for her soul. I'm going to fight for her soul. God gave her that voice. God wants her to use that voice for the next generation. I'm going to fight for her. I enjoy the people. I enjoy Sophie. So, Sophie Sophie's like our Adele, isn't she? Sophie's kind of cool. I try to manipulate Sophie. I go, Sophie, you don't give me a hug? She goes, bro, I'm serving. What? <laughs> You want me to serve? You want me to give you a hug? I mean, what do you want me to do here? I was like, oh, good point, Sophie, good point. She kind of had to give it back to me. I was like, okay, can I have a hug now? Yeah, she gave me a hug. And then she said, you want you anything? No, it's okay, Sophie, it's awesome. I try to get her, but you can't, you know, the, the Brits are very clever. They go, what are you trying to do here? You're trying to manipulate me, right? You got to enjoy the family. Do you enjoy the church? I enjoy the family. I enjoy seeing two Williamson couples in the Birmingham church. I mean, sorry, not two, two Williamson couples, but. Williamson and the Williamson. Right? <laughs> that was a little uncomfortable. Amen. <laughs> enjoying the family. Enjoying the. Do you enjoy the disciples? You know you're all you got. You're all you got. You need to be bothered if somebody's saying something against your sister. Bothered. Someone's saying something against your brother. I love Steph. Don't you love Steph? Yeah. Modern day miracle. Modern day miracle. She threw off the shackles of Satan. Stealing her identity. And she's pretty. Enjoying the favor. We got to enjoy. We got to love one another, guys. Enjoying the favor of all the people, praising God, enjoying the favor of the and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yeah. Do you realize what's powerful about this? The apostles were committed. We know because every one of them died a martyr's death. Here, where it says that the Lord was adding to their number, earlier it says 3,000 were baptized. So there were 3,120. You had the 120 and then you had the 3,000. But what was, what was revolutionary? about what Jesus' ministry started is that the 120 were just as devoted as the 3,000. Just as devoted. You could not look at the apostles' dedication and see a difference with the members' dedication. So there wasn't, oh, the leaders really dedicated, we'll sell this house and go anywhere, do anything you've ever done, but me on the other hand. No, they were committed. They had everything in common. Willing to give up everything. What was in common was everything. Wasn't there quirks in what song in South London, North London, West Midland, East Midland? No, no, wasn't there postcode wars in their heart? 
they were willing to give up everything. Are you committed to all the meetings of the body? Are you committed? Are you committed to coming? Committed to being? Committed to bringing? Visitors. If we're going to get the next generation, we've got to be committed. If somebody doesn't want to commit to our church, I don't want them to join our church. I tell them. Man, this may not be the church for you. I don't want you coming in and lukewarm enough for our church. Yeah. Yeah. Our church is fire, man. I want some lukewarm brother taking Sophie out on a date. You go to some false teaching church. You come here, you love God. I'd rather feel like, hey, we don't have a baptism than baptizing these lukewarm people that don't really believe in God. Are you with me right here? You got to be committed to this church. This is, this is God counting on you for the next generation. You got to be committed to this church. We got to com- be committed to all nations. Look at chapter 6. Committed to all nations. We can't be just committed to one nation. I heard a lot of amens for Africa in that good news email. I heard a lot of amens for Africa. I sure did. It's getting quiet a little bit right now. You ready to go back to Africa? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. I hope, I, hope you're not, I hope your followers are not fans. You're not fans. They're in the stands like, yay, but they don't want to get on the pitch. Right? It's like, wow, look what, look what they're doing. Wow, yay, come on, my country. You ready to go back to your country? Oh, well, hold on. Yeah. Yeah, you're hurting the forceful advancement. We got to be committed to all nations. Check this out. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. Now, this is awesome. The number of disciples is increasing. That's how it was in those days. That's how it needs to be in these days. The number of disciples is increasing. It says, um, the uh, Hellenistic Jews, or the Grecian Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Uh Uh-oh, you got got to get some. You know, the the, the Hellenistic Jews, like in the Greek lives, don't matter here. Right? It says the Hellenistic Jews. Among them, complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Does the Bible say they were being overlooked? It does. Yeah. This happened. Yeah. You know, as the church grows, some groups will get overlooked. Yeah. Because the number of disciples is increasing. Yeah. Well, something was wrong with the church. No, we have an issue in the church. We don't stop going to church because there's an issue. If there were issues in the first century, this is the perfect church. There was no church better than this one. And we've got to have a biblical mindset. When we see a weakness in our church, we don't fall away because oh, we don't have this, we don't have that. You, know, you, don't, you don't fall away over that. You're not reading your Bible. Here it says, very good. they were being overlooked. So the 12 gathered all the disciples, check this one out, together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to what? Wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of, full of the spirit and wisdom. The Holy Spirit. We will turn this responsibility over them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. It says, I need a guy who can crank tables who's got the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now check this out. This pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, who was Greek. A man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, who was Greek. Procurus, who was Greek. Nicanor, who was Greek. And the names are listed there so that you know that they chose Greek guys. Don't you think those Greek guys would have been able to talk to their Greek brothers with that Greek accent and say things to them in a Greek way that the Jews didn't? And then and then they go, oh, they're not present. No, bro. The church is just growing. There's no presence, bro. Come, bro. Look, bro. Come on, bro. Bro, bro. You, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? You know, if it's an English, it's wrong, wrong. No, 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 no. Mate, mate, come in, mate, mate. It's not, it's not. Mate, come in, come in. It's rubbish, mate. No, it's rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. We're building the church. We're building this rubbish, mate. Don't, don't let that come into your heart. You know we Brits. We're very critical. You know we are. You know. So that, that is for the British situation. Right? Asian, Asian. It's like you know we, yeah, we, we kind of people please a little. We're not honest. We're not honest sometimes. We say yes when we really mean no sometimes. You know, Asian. So don't do. Don't do. You know what I mean? That's why you need a church of all nations. Right? We help each other. I like the fact that when this issue came up, these Jewish brothers get on it. I mean, these Greek brothers get on it. We got to be committed to all nations. You guys get the lesson right there, don't you? 
Okay, we need more English people baptized. Yeah. Amen. We need more Italians baptized. Yeah. I like Romania. Yeah. I think Romanians are awesome. I think Romanians are incredible. We are building the, 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 the international church. And you show what you really love when in fellowship, you don't even talk to people that are not your nation. You don't, wanna have, you don't have enough love to get to know somebody's uh, culture. We got to be committed to all nations. Are you with me right here? Yes. Last couple. Turn to Acts chapter 8. We got to be committed under all persecution. Chapter 8, committed under all persecution. As we go after the next generation, we got to stay committed under all persecution. Acts chapter 8. It says this here. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. I love that. The apostles stayed where it was hottest. They go, we got to stay where it's the most intense persecution. We got to keep the church together because they stay in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered. That means the apostles started the Jerusalem church and got it back on fire. Were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from what? House to house. He dragged off men, both men and women, put them in prison. I forgot the other one. We got to be committed to Bible talks. Because the church is built from house to house, and the church is destroyed from house to house. How we have those small group discussions will determine how we grow the church. We don't grow the church by trying to get people to come here. We grow the church by getting people to come to our Bible talk. Then they come here, and they know people. Are you with me right here? We clean our homes so they smell an aroma pleasing to the Lord when they walk in. We cook awesome food, so they want to stay just for the food. Yes, sometimes people will come just for the food. Right? Like you did. Remember when you came? And it was just, you didn't want to hear nothing about Jesus. But like, oh, really? For free? Amen. Okay, I got 15 minutes to listen to you talk to me. Right? And then you came on out. Right? Bible talks is how we're going to build house to house, small group discussions. Are you with me right here? Because that's how you build the church, and that's how you destroy the church. Church is not built by just one big Sunday push time. It's built with small group discussions during the week. So the people come into the doors, they know, hey, yeah, that's my small group. That's my small group. Our small group we had in London, was so, it was so effective, we stopped doing it. And I got persecuted by a person to say, this is my church. You're not going to have the small group anymore. We had a lady who was shared with by somebody who had come, and she had never come. She showed up at our door saying, hey, I'm here for your Bible talk. And she studied the Bible and became a disciple. Bible talk is important. The church is built with Bible talk. The church is destroyed with Bible talk. But let's finish out here. We got to be committed under all persecution. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For streaks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city, and the church said, Isn't that awesome? They persevered under persecution, and there was great joy in that city. Um, We're going to get persecuted, guys. All you got to say, nowadays, I mean, you don't need to say very much for for people to have a criticism against the church. People are looking for so many different reasons to persecute the church. Uh, For those that don't know, we've now got people that are going back 30-some-odd years ago and going, yes, we were abused in this church, and this happened to us in this church. Why didn't you say anything for 30 years? Right. That's a long time. I mean, that's a long time to hold an attitude. You're probably more abused by holding it on, holding on to it for 30 years than what happened to you. Wow. Right? That's 30 years of really, you know, why are you, why are you? So we, we get a lot of persecution. We are a Bible church. We don't believe in tolerating hiding sin or hiding weirdness or allowing things to come in our church and sweeping it. We get enough persecution as it is. I got a message this morning saying, hey, yeah, but. I was told that you guys want to hide some of the weaknesses of people in your church because you don't want it to hurt the movement. I go, you know how much persecution we've been getting? You think we're afraid of people saying nasty things about us? People get mad at us. They call me a cult leader for preaching on Sundays. We've heard it all. There would be no reason for us to worry about another person saying something nasty about our church. Haven't you heard that Jesus ended up in court? Falsely accused. And convicted. At doing nothing. Even the first century Christians ended up in court. Did, where did Paul end up? In court. In court. We got to stay committed under all persecution. 
And if we do, we will see all the shrieks and evil spirits come out of individuals that we help for the next generation. Remember the shrieks and evil spirits you said when you became a Christian? Yeah. And there'll be great joy. I want there to be great joy in this city. Great joy at us making disciples, thinking about the next generation, thinking about the next group of leaders. I want some of you to go, you know, maybe I'm the next generation. Maybe Joseph and Novella need to hang out for a little bit and go do something else. Maybe there's another leader. Maybe we can get the leads. Maybe Birmingham can do Manchester. Maybe Birmingham can do Leeds and Manchester. Maybe we can get all of England. Maybe there's another guy who owns a building and has got millions just waiting for somebody to believe. Maybe he wouldn't listen to a Jew like me from America. But maybe he'd listen to a Greek like you from England. So that we can stay focused on prayer and the ministry of word. Are you with me right here? It is time for us to get the next generation. I'm going after you today. I'm going after you today. Those of you that know you need to be in the full-time ministry, there's some of you. The Spirit's going after you. It's time for this church to rise high. There is no favoritism in our movement. There's no way I love London more than I love Birmingham. I don't believe in that. And in a, in a godly way, I'd like to see Birmingham disciple London a little bit. I think we've heard enough. I love you. And to God be all the glory. Yeah.